Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of warm and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Delmarie Cobb, progressive columnist David Maciotra, and conservative Republican Chris Roebling. Our program tonight coming to you from the Paul and Angel Harvey studio at the Radio Hall of Fame in Chicago and Michigan Ave on State Street. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open at 1-800-723-8029. 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce du- at, I'm sorry, Beyond the Beltway 2019 at gmail.com. And also, if you want to join us on the World Wide Web, you can tweet me at Dumo. And if you want to join us on the World Wide Web, it's beyondthebeltway.com. And of course, you can join us, as many people are now doing. We are on Facebook Live, we're on YouTube Live, and of course, we're on uh, all the great radio stations that carry this program. Lots to talk about. Again, got a little tongue-tied at the beginning of the show here, but we're off to a flying stop. Ow. But anyway, <laughs> and one of our guests didn't show up, but I'm, well, the, I, we're not going to digress. This has been another heck of a week uh, with American politics. And Dave, you've met Trip. We have not had you on this program for quite some time. You're a progressive, you're a writer, you're an author, uh, and it's great to have you back. What is your take on, on the Jeffrey Epstein suicide? Now, the president is taking a lot of heat because he has retweeted something uh, of a conspiracy theory that is being uh, you know, uh, spread around the Internet by... Uh, Terrence Williams, a conservative commentator. But what's your take on the bizarre case of Jeffrey Epstein? Well, I'm happy to make my triumphant comeback to the program. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Um, the Epstein story, it, I have no insight to share on the suicide, although there are certainly elements of it that are suspicious. I'm not shocking any of your audience with that observation. Right. However, I'm amazed at how the Democrats... Uh, refuse to touch the story. If I was Bernie Sanders and I was attempting to build my entire campaign around uh, casting aspersion with good reason on the undue disproportionate amount of influence the billionaire class, as he likes to say, has over our society, I could think of no better illustration than a billionaire pedophile who successfully manipulated the legal system to his advantage, uh, flew around on his private jet a former president, attended parties at the resort of the current president. Uh, Why Bernie Sanders, why Elizabeth Warren refuses to touch that story to say, we're taxing the, we're cutting the taxes on Jeffrey Epstein rather than forgiving student debt. We're cutting the taxes for Jeffrey Epstein rather than creating Medicare for all, it boggles my mind and it makes me question the intelligence of the entire apparatus of the Democratic Party. Chris Roebling joins us. For long-time listeners, Chris, they know you're not only a conservative commentator, but once upon a time, uh, you're young, you, you spent some time in the CIA. This is a very spooky story, is it not? Yes, I think it's kind of a banana republic story for all of your Facebook viewers out there. I'm sure you've seen you know, somewhat humorous memes, I guess, at some point or another, with a picture of Hillary Clinton waving, and the quote beneath the wave is, make sure it looks like a suicide, 
right? And, and I think that it's very sad for this country that we've gotten to the point with this attorney general and this administration and Bureau of Prisons leadership that Jeffrey Epstein was not kept alive to face his accusers, both criminal and civil. This is a massive uh, failure by the United States Department of Justice. And that's why our attorney general, apparently this morning, uh, yesterday morning, was, quote, livid, unquote, when he learned that Epstein had, in fact, expired. Uh, Delmarie Cobb, you're a Democrat. Uh, what's your take on this uh, story that really, it, it's a conspiracy tale to some extent, but it's a conspiracy tale that both liberals and conservatives might be spreading, well, each with a different culprit, obviously. Whether it's a conspiracy or stupidity, it's one or the other. Because if someone's already tried to commit suicide, and they should be under suicide watch, and then they're not, and then they successfully commit suicide, something is wrong with that. How could you have him when you already have been tipped off? The man tried already. Right. And then you're, you don't have him under suicide watch? I mean, he should have been, they should have been checking on him all the while he was in jail. And, and it happens on the heels of release of court documents in a, in, a, in a related case, but not the exact case, where some names of some pretty big players uh, are, are mentioned including the former uh, governor and, uh, from uh, New Mexico, Bill Richardson, very close to the Clinton administration, George Mitchell, the majority leader of the United States Senate from Maine, and Prince Andrew, who are allegedly, I want to stress, allegedly involved in some sort of a, uh, a relationship with some young women that allegedly were told to go and have go to bed with these folks. Well, um, he, he, and it's all, and it, it just... It, it, you couldn't even make this story up, I don't Well, I, I think some of us here, I think back, I've taken a hiatus from Facebook, but two or three weeks ago, I think, or a month ago, I said something about, you know, watch out for a suicide situation. Number Or, or the other thing is inside, and this isn't so true at a Metropolitan Correctional Center, a federal facility, but at places like Rikers Island, as we all know from the Dahmer case up in uh, Wisconsin, but many others, Folks who are inside and who are known to have abused children face prison justice. Right. Okay. And that's something that may also have been operating here. But I agree with Del Marie that it's either a conspiracy or it is stupidity. And since there are a lot of dangerous people in there and they tend to stay in there, I'm going to say... There isn't much stupidity inside that building. I'm, I'm not feeling good about the possibility of conspiracy for the very reason that you mentioned. Yeah. You know, the document dump was ordered by, I believe it was the Second Circuit uh, Court of the, you know, Federal Circuit, the United States Circuit Court, Second, Second Circuit. And uh, that has released into public discussion all kinds of documents, all kinds of allegations. And all of the people who are named pages. There, right, all the people named therein deserve a presumption of innocence and a presumption of not having, you know, taken part because 
none of that has been proven yet, as, as, as I understand it. But the well, bottom that, line is he was determined to commit suicide. I mean, obviously he was determined that he was going to try. And because he was facing life in prison. Oh. And so he knew he was never going to get out again. And he, I mean, just from what we know of him, he was not somebody who was the character or had the demeanor to withstand what that would mean for him. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, his reputation had been, well, he had a bad reputation and it only got worse. <laughs> and again, in this particular case, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the U.S. attorney involved in the, in the case locally, uh, he said they're going to pursue this case. Even though he obviously isn't going to go to prison, they want to they want to look at this case so that the the woman involved it was a defamation case. They want to follow that case to find out whether or not uh, she should be guilty of some crime. I'm Bruce Dumont back shortly from Chicago. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Oh, yeah. They're listening in Knoxville, Tennessee, and nice to have you with us this evening, wherever you're listening, to be on the Beltway or watching us on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, you have buttoned up one point about uh, the, the, the well, Jeffrey Epstein case, and then we're going to move on. I, I, notwithstanding the statement by the prosecutor that uh, the prosecutor is going to continue with uh, folks in the, um, sort of in the indictment, folks who may have aided or abetted, uh, the, the documents that were released by the Second Circuit on Friday relate to a civil action. And so there are a lot of allegations in there, some of which may be true and some of which may not be true. And I think, therefore, you know, these, these individuals whose names are getting thrown around deserve a big grant of, you know, presumption of non-involvement, innocence, whatever you... And one who uh, anticipated this um, was... Professor Alan Dershowitz, who published a very, I would say, uh, convincing repudiation of the charges 10 days ago and has already been interviewed about it, as, as Delmarie has pointed out. So, so I, I, the folks who were on the inside knew something like this might come up with the document release. And uh, one can only imagine how their lives are being turned over uh, at, at this moment, fairly or unfairly. Um, I want to get everybody's reaction. Start with you, Delmi. What was your reaction to President Trump's national address to the nation earlier this week on what happened in El Paso and in uh, in Ohio, and also uh, uh, trying to come up with words that that denounce racism and racists and white nationals and white nationalists? Well, the the bottom line is, I mean. 
you can see this is what he says does not come from the heart. It is being written for him, and he even has a hard time reading it uh, because he knows he doesn't mean it. I mean, I'm not here to say he's a white nationalist or a white supremacist, but he certainly is a racist, and to me that is indisputable. So he will never be able to feel genuinely those words of remorse or regret or empathy for the people in either place. David Masioto. I remember quite well uh, during the Bush administration how not President Bush himself, but some of his more fulsome supporters would often accuse critics of the Iraq war of harboring an anti-American sentiment or uh, advocating a soft on terrorism approach to national security. I would, if, again, I'm giving Democrats a lot of free advice tonight. Uh, I would say that the Democrats need to elevate their language to meet the urgency of the crisis of Trump's failure of leadership. We now know that his own Department of Justice in 2018 put out a report identifying white extremist groups as comprising the greatest terror threat facing the nation, that every extremist murder in that year was committed by a white supremacist or a white nationalist, and that Trump had the report buried. So that's not, that is racism, and I agree with you, but that's also soft on terrorism, that's also an anti-American policy, because as we've seen with the worst possible evidence, loved ones planning funerals right now, uh, as we've seen with the worst possible evidence, the lives of Americans are at stake. And Trump needs to answer what he considers more important, political expediency in the form of pleasing his base or protecting the lives of more innocent Americans. Based on what he said this week, uh, and again, it was off a teleprompter, and I agree with you, there's a big difference when he speaks off a teleprompter. He talks slower, he gets down, he, sound, he looks and sounds older than he is when he's just winging it from, and it's, it, it clearly doesn't sound like it's coming from the heart. So my question to you, uh, Chris, as, as a Republican, I mean, can, can the Republicans win an election without appealing to some elements of your, of your base, the Republican base, that might be racist? Can you win an election that way? Well, I, I, first of all, I, I've known Delmarie for many years. Since you were children. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we still are. Yeah, yeah, there you go. At heart. Um, and and I, I've been on the program before with David. I, I don't think that Trump is a racist. Uh, racism was never part of the Trump portrait until he started to run for president. In New York City, the people who knew him best uh, saw him as a figure that was working overtime to get women into construction, to get blacks into construction, to find Hispanics and other minorities and bring them into construction and into his projects. He was recognized as such. He's the only president in the entire history to have been um, uh, feted and, and recognized on the same stage as Rosa Parks. And so I, I personally reject the idea that he is a racist, but I understand that folks have sincerely held beliefs on the other side. Now, having said that, I agree with you that when he's reading off the teleprompter, it doesn't sound like it comes from the heart. I think that he is um, hes a, a very strange politician. He's unusual. And he doesn't have some of the abilities that, say, a Bill Clinton or even a George 
W. Bush had, or even Barack Obama. But but does does he know, and and maybe did Steve Bannon teach him how to appeal to people no, that you and I would never want to go to a cocktail party? I, with? I don't. I have never. I have never felt that way. I'm, I don't appeal to those people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I know you the, don't. The Republican Party or the conservative movement kicked them out in 1955 under the leadership of Bill Buckley. Uh, both the, the, the Ayn Rand types and the um, uh, George Lincoln Rockwell types. So all of those people were kicked out of the conservative movement uh, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. And so I don't, I don't see anything that Trump has done as welcoming them, but I think that, I honestly think that there are a lot of folks in the national media and there are a lot of folks at the National Democratic Party level who are intent on using scare tactics as I believe they have consistently over the last four David, years. David, are they scare tactics? Aristotle defined uh, character as habitual action. Correct. So President Trump has habitually made racist remarks and enacted racialized policy. We can go back to the announcement of the candidacy in which he disparaged Mexican immigrants as bringing crimes, drugs, uh, rapists, and some of them are good people was the qualification he added. His disparagement of a judge as being unable to adjudicate a case because of Mexican heritage. His coddling of white nationalists after the Charlottesville murder. Uh, his disparagement of predominantly black cities as hell holes. Uh, this, is, this is a pattern. This is habitual. So I would just ask you, and I have no question or no reason to question your sincerity, what would Trump have to do to meet that standard for you? I mean, would it require a cross burning on the White House lawn or... Or the use of the N word. I mean, Delmer, you want to jump in? And then do we'll you want to jump in? And then well, reply. my hope, as as I said from the beginning, is indisputable. This is not up for debate. I'm not debating whether Donald Trump is a racist. He's a racist. Okay. I'm a black person, and he's a racist. When he talks about foreign countries that are African or black, and he calls them shithole countries, mm -hmm. when he says to the NFL players because they took a knee that tell that son of a bitch to go back where he came from, fire him, fire him. That's code. That's code. We already all know what that is. That's dog whistling. That means go back to Africa. We know that that's the same uh, a mantra that they said in the 60s, go back to Africa. That's what he was saying to these women, the congresswomen, when he was saying, go back to your rat-infested um, crime-infested, gang-infested places where you came from. Well, that was Baltimore. Those, 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 I, no, I, I, think no, you're, was, I think you're conflating that between no, 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 the no. battle be, you know, with, with the congressman from Maryland. Congressman he was, that was, but he was saying to them, go back where they came from, but then he went on to elaborate <laughs> with Elijah Cummins Cummings when he went into the rat infested. Right. It was no difference. It was, he was saying the same thing. And he he wow. launched his political career ingratiating himself to a certain hideous part of the American electorate with birtherism. He, he claimed he had investigators in Hawaii and they were finding <laughs> things you wouldn't believe were still waiting on that report. And why uh, is it that every black person is lower IQ? I, so I, I, so uh, <laughs> Maxine Waters, lower IQ. 
and and Frederica Wilson, lower IQ. So every time Don you, Lemon. yeah, every time you're talking about a black person, they're lower IQ. Who's more lower IQ than him? That's well Chris. said. Okay, I, I'm down to about a minute here, but I'm, I'm not, and that's okay, and that's okay. I, and certainly, I don't doubt anybody's sincerity either. I, I would say that the textual references are actually not accurate. I really truly believe that. And I would direct everybody's attention, especially your Facebook listeners, to Steve Cortez and his explication of the statement about Charlottesville uh, on this week's Prager U video. I think it is very significant. I've been over the text of the announcement statement. In fact, I sat at the City Club here in Chicago across the table from Trump when he had lunch and spoke at the City Club a week after he rode down the elevator. We talked, or the escalator. We talked about it. It was a topic of conversation there at the table. And I think that that has been widely misreported, misinterpreted, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you say the things about um, the NFL players and, and you say the things about, about the uh, say, the, the, the female members of Congress. Uh, I think the female members of Congress were told, and, and I think, look, the squad. I, I, don't, I don't go for this, and I would never say it, and I've never said anything like it, and I'm never going to say anything like it. But I think if you, if you take what he was saying, he was saying, if you're so smart, you know, go back, fix your country, then come back and tell us how it worked. I don't think he was saying go back and never come back. And that's that's not on the tape. But who is he to say was, go back? Three he was four he made, he was, I, I, I think so. Yeah, right. They're, they're that, all that Americans. Was, they're all Americans. Right. But and, and none born of them got to go back anywhere yeah. to begin with. But I, I think that you are looking at statements that he has said. And one of the things that you have to accept with this guy. We got a pause. Like Bruce Dumont back shortly from Chicago. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov slash emergency. From the beautiful rivers of New London, New Hampshire, what a beautiful place that is. Thank you. You're listening to us, uh, one of our oldest affiliates in New Hampshire. Nice to have you with us this evening. We've got great guests this evening. One of our guests who was scheduled uh, did not show up. Again, that happens every once in a while. That person was a Republican. So if you're saying, well, tonight's like two Democrats and only one Republican, you're <laughs> right. But we have a very strong Republican in, uh, in Chris Rowland. We'll see. We'll see. Let's let uh, David Masiotra introduce himself uh, to the audience. David? All right. Hello, everyone. Great to be with you. My name is David Masiotra. I'm a columnist with Salon.com and an author of uh, four books, uh, the two most recent of which are Mellencamp, American Troubadour, and Barack Obama, Invisible Man. I'm currently writing the fifth book. Uh, I am somebody why Jesse Jackson matters. Okay, and let's go to Chris Roebling. For people that don't remember you, 
Good evening, everybody. Thanks for watching. My name is Chris Roebling, and I've had the privilege of being on the program off and on for many years. We're not going to start counting, but I think I go back a long way. Three decades. Three decades plus. Yeah. Yeah. And Delmarie Cobb. Always great to have you with us, Delmarie. Oh, thank you, Bruce. And I'm Delmarie Cobb, and I'm a political consultant. Um, I consider myself a progressive, so you actually may have mm -hmm. two progressives yeah. on the on the show. But uh, I've worked for a lot of um, uh, presidential, all the way down to aldermen uh, campaigns throughout my career. Including the Jesse Jackson 1988 exactly. presidential campaign. I was his national traveling press secretary, and then I was his... Uh, uh, son's uh, director of communications yeah. when he ran in the special election yeah. in 95. Now you are also, uh, you're with an organization called Ida's Legacy, uh, Ida B. Wells. Right. Explain who Ida is, why why it's important that, that she be remembered, and then you have a benefit coming up this coming week. Well, Ida B. Wells is actually my hero, and uh, I'm fortunate enough that uh, the block I live on in Chicago is right, I live right across the street from her house, um, and I've lived on that block for 50 years. So, and she was a Republican. So, well, most black people were at that time. Yeah. So, uh, and she helped elect the first Republican alderman uh, in Chicago, Oscar DePriest in 1915. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that's, she was an, an extraordinary woman. Uh, she was independent. She was fierce. She was a, a strategist. She was a suffragist. Um, she was a, and we all know the anti-lynching campaign, which is how she came to fame. But she took no prisoners. She did not compromise. So there were black people who didn't like her specifically black men because she would not compromise mm -hmm. and then the white women who she fought to help uh, push voting rights for women mm -hmm. didn't like her because they she still was black so mm -hmm. they wanted her to sit at the back of the bus and she was like no I'm not sitting at the back of the bus not so you have I'm a benefit you. coming you have a, you have a benefit coming up uh, it's a nonprofit organization mm -hmm. and uh, you are going to be showing a film called Lincoln is crying. It's a new film. It has not been officially released yet. Uh, hopefully you'll be seeing it on public television soon. Uh, I will just say uh, I am in the film periodically as a political advisor. It's about all of the corrupt politicians in the state of Illinois and what's unique about it. And you're going to be screening it at a benefit coming up this coming Thursday the 15th. So we have a pack called Ida's Legacy, which is named after Ida B. Wells. And the whole idea behind the pack is to support and develop progressive African-American women candidates. And so for our summer mixer, uh, we're showing the film Lincoln is Crying uh, because the whole premise of the pack and in the legacy of Ida B. Wells is to speak truth to power. And so that event is coming up Thursday, uh, August 15th at uh, Columbia College. Give the phone number nice and slow and then we're going to move on. Okay, and the phone number is 312-948-9951. Okay, very good. Thank you. Um, I want to switch gears and go to the other one of the other big stories and that is, you know, the president uh, visited uh, both in Ohio and in, in Texas. Um, presidents, no matter who they are, they always get some criticism for going to, to places like that because either they overplay it. Uh, in this particular case, there were, there were demonstrations against the president, and uh, there certainly wasn't, at least in Ohio, there wasn't a friendly in a local political figure that was, that was welcoming him. Uh, did, did, he, did he blow this visit 
Chris, did the one photograph where Milani is holding the orphan right. of two people that were murdered in El Paso, did that one picture destroy all, any goodwill plus the thumbs up? Did that destroy any goodwill that the president was trying to display? No, I, 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 don't, I don't think it destroyed all of the goodwill, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, in reference to our comments earlier, um, I just think that President Trump is a very unusual force in American politics. He represents a lot of alienation. He represents a lot of anger. He represents a lot of uh, folks feeling like the system they supported turned against them and left them by the side of the road to serve coastal elites. And he says a lot of things, and, and to, to be at something as somber, serious, sad, and significant as El Paso, and to talk about you know, his rally in El Paso, whatever it is, 80 <clears throat> days ago, it's just you know, unfortunate. But that's the kind of guy he is, and that's what we've got. And I think that if, if, just, if I can finish what I was trying to say before, I believe that Trump's policies relative to folks of all strata, all, all levels of society, whether they're black, white, brown, whatever, um, is far more beneficial for folks who have had to face adversity in the past. And I believe that those policies, like liberating children in these Democrat-controlled cities from these massive bureaucratic education, non-educational institutions like the Chicago public schools or like the Baltimore public schools is indicative of a serious, sincere policy concern and personal determination. That does, it, you, you might say, oh, well, it's for, it's, it's, that's just window dressing. It, does, it doesn't necessarily help this base that, that Bruce was alluding to. I, it helps the conservatives in the base because that's why we oppose big government solutions, because they tend to trample on the least among us. But, those. but when you cut to it, I mean, you, you, you've given a lot of intellectual responses, but when you get right down to the, um, I, the, the lack of smarts, the, the lack of empathy, the, the, finesse, the common finesse. sense, the finesse, I mean, this is a guy that grew up with, you know, with, 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 with a silver spoon in his mouth, and 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 had all went went to good schools. Right. Surrounded himself. I mean, th this guy was taught, you know, to raise the pinky finger when he was probably ten years old. But my question is, someone, or whether it's even someone on the staff, how does someone on the staff not realize that having the first lady holding an, a, an orphan, who was orphaned by two of the victims at El Paso, and they have the president smiling with his thumb up. How is it that there isn't somebody on that staff that can say him to, to slow him down or, or kick him in the head well, and you, say, "Wake up, guy! You used you're, you, def, you're you're defeating all the good all the good people who are who want to support you and 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 because they like your policies, you're kicking them in the face. You're you're putting them in a defensive position in any conversation you have." with decent people around the world because he's acting like a goofball. You used the, the key word, empathy. One of the greatest qualities of President Trump is his exhibitionism, and I don't mean in that in the physical sense. 
thank God. Uh, but politically, uh, in terms of his personality, he's constantly exposing himself. So people have used the word sociopathic to describe Trump, and that's a clinical term, but they're referring, perhaps using the word loosely, to a deficit of empathy, an inability to uh, sympathize with people. When he takes that photo, he provides confirmation of that idea. I, I when just, he, uh, I think that point is overdrawn. When he when he's talking with a woman whose family was murdered by ISIS in the Oval Office, and he never even says, I'm sorry for your loss. He stares straight ahead and then turns to her and says, and you won a Nobel Prize? It makes him appear as if he is incapable of feeling the slightest sensitivity for people who have lost everything, people who are suffering. Or go to Puerto Rico and throw paper towels yes. at people. I mean, all of those things. Yeah. It, it happens over and over and over again. And it's not the same thing each time. It's a different way mm -hmm. to and show. And, and it, but, but in your case, because you've done a lot of staff work over the years, this is beyond oh. bad staff work. Oh. And oh. No, this is, it, it, if, if I had, wait, wait, wait. If I had oh. a client like him, one <laughs> of us would be dead. The, 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 the answer to Bruce's question is the husband of Kellyanne Conway, Yes. maybe at the cost of that marriage, is playing that role. And I don't think that Trump can write that off or ignore it or, you know, sort of uh, flippantly dismiss it. I, he understands that George Conway is one of the most gifted attorneys in the nation, happens to be a Republican, happens to be married to Kellyanne, happens to be a, a person of extraordinary quality and extraordinary capability. And so George Conway will get on and attack the president and this is just another bizarre element in this whole melange we've got in front of us politically. But I want to tell you, you talk about empathy, and I don't, I, I, I don't mean to, I'm going to sound partisan here. Where is the empathy in consigning kids in Baltimore to 15 high schools in which not one child is performing in math at grade level? 15 high schools. And I'm just talking about the 15 high schools that are in the area of the congressman. Those 15 high schools have not one child, and, they're, and, they're, and their enrollment is 99.99% African-American. There is we no have to empathy pause. in the when, Democratic when Party. When we come back, when we come back, we're going to talk about ice raids in Mississippi. Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg. And I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They're listening <laughs> to us on Sirius POTUS. Sirius POTUS in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania tonight. Let's go to Tom. He's in... Ohio. He's in uh, 
No, you're in, you're in Sharon, Pennsylvania, are you not, Tom? <laughs> Where the hell are you? I, I go back to your... Go ahead. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, I go back to your days when you were uh, out of uh, hearing you out of Youngstown, Ohio. Okay, that's In good. fact, when you first started there, uh, I, I listened and called you. And uh, I hear you now out of uh, Sharon, Pennsylvania, WPIC. Yes, that's right. And so I want now, to Tom, recognize I wanna, them. I want to ask you a quick question. You're not the guy that used to listen to the show every Sunday in a hot tub with your wife, are you? No, I'm not. Okay, because there was some there was some guy who said he looked forward to Sunday night for two things. He could listen to Beyond the Beltway and he could get in the hot tub with his wife. So I don't know whatever happened to the guy, but I, I, I hope Bruce you you'll you'll indulge me for a couple of minutes uh, in, in, in on a subject that sure. I think is a hot button. Go ahead. I'm trying to present a different perspective. Okay. Um with the shootings by the white supremacists, white nationalists, you know, I, I have no problem with the Justice Department and the FBI going after these groups uh, and the KKK and the neo-Nazis. But then I think they also should go after Antifa, the New Black Panthers, Acorn and Al Sharpton, the, the hate mongers from the other side. Right. Um, the other thing, the other thing, well, actually there's several other things. First of all, as far as white nationalism, I'm, I'm white. I believe in nationalism. I believe in having a country and borders and culture and language. But I'm not a member of any fanatic group. And I don't believe in white supremacy. But I don't believe in white inferiority either, Bruce. And, and you know, for the past 50 years, and really, I'd say for the first 20 years, it was necessary to have affirmative action and quotas and uh, the uh, set-asides by the government for uh, government contracts for minority and women preferences and uh, business loan preferences for minorities and women and uh, college admittance uh, considerations on that basis. But 50 years, I think, stretches that. And just the same argument that was given to about blacks and Hispanic minorities, especially in the inner cities, that you know they were being stereotyped, they had low self-esteem, they had no hope for the future. I really think you're seeing that role reversal now to straight white males for the past probably 20 or 30 years, and and you know I, I really think that part of the reason why these uh, groups are, are growing in number is because you're seeing the very situation that was trying to be alleviated uh, with black and Hispanics in this country being now put on straight white males. The woman referred to uh, being in the back of the bus. Well, I think a lot of straight white males view themselves as being in the back of the bus. I think Tom, let me just, just take a break. I want to let, I want to Del, let Del Marie tackle your your broad question, because I think you, 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 you articulated it well. Go ahead. Well, I mean, that's who Donald Trump appealed to from the very beginning when he said, make America great again. He was talking about when women and people of color knew their place. And so it spoke to the whole... Do you think that it also could have meant it, he wanted, when, when he talked about making America great again, he was also talking about a time when straight white men were respected and not looked down upon by minorities. 
and by the by a well, political when, party. When white men were the king of their castle and the king yes. of the of the business world, so it's very hard to ha be in a situation where your wife goes out to work and you think she's going to come home and you're still king of the castle. Because uh, once she has to deal with the rest of the world, she is not going to look at you as the king of her castle. You are now equals. That is what they are, they're seeing, is their esteem, as they see it, slipping. And that's what he spoke do you, to. But do you, do you understand why, David, do you understand why some white males, straight white males, feel that uh, they're being ganged up on by society, by the Democratic Party, by certain political leaders, by corporate America. They are the, the they are they're they are under assault. No, oh, they're I, not under I, assault. I think that. But no, do, do you I, believe, I mean, I understand. You may not they, agree that they're under no. assault. I'm just saying. Can you understand if they feel that they are under assault? I understand that they feel like victims. It sounds as if they need a, a trigger <laughs> warning in a safe space. Uh, <laughs> what is a trigger warning? I'm, I'm a straight white man, and uh, my demographic still controls the country, controls uh, the White House, controls both branches of government, is a majority of the Supreme Court uh, and in the court system. Uh, the overwhelming majority of executives at major multinational corporations are straight white men. Uh, the most influential cultural players are uh, straight white men. So this is a category error. Since the 1960s, we have seen slow and steady progress in terms of equality for blacks, equality for women, equality for gays, and white men are making the mistake of believing that someone else's gain is their loss. I, I, I think that that's, I, I think we're well behind, beyond the, the caller's point, and I think, I think the caller, are we, are we yeah, out? Yeah, go ahead, go well, ahead. The, call, the caller's point is that to remediate or to address structural uh, racism and discrimination in the 1960s, we instituted a raft of race-based preferences. And I think that he's asking when, if ever, will the folks who supported those see them as having served their purpose and achieved their goals. I, we can talk about it after. Tom, I just want, thank you for I think your that's call. What he was calling we're out of time for the hour. 1-800-723-8289. In the next hour, we're going to be talking about the Democratic field and some other issues, including the raids in Mississippi. When ICE shows up, do we have to prepare to take care of the children as well? Back shortly. Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. 
Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. I have one of my biggest fans uh, with us this evening. And I'm going to move him out of the shot because our guests are complaining that it's too hot in here. So, by the way, I just received a bulletin from uh, 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 Fritz Goldman, who's the, been the director of this show for since he was a pup. Uh, he has now told us that we are on uh, uh, Google Home and we're on Alexa. So all you have to do on a Sunday night is when you walk into your house, yeah. just say, turn on Beyond the Beltway. I, do you have to say Beyond the Beltway or do you have to say the fan is too loud? All right, hang on just a second. This is the head of, this is my fan club right here. <laughs> We're going to turn it down. Turn on Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. <laughs> All you have to do is you say, you walk into your house, right? Am I describing this right? You walk into your house and say, tune on Bruce Dumont. But it only works on Sunday night, right? Because I, I only work on Sunday night, right? <laughs> Doesn't work during the week when I'm at the pool. Um, by the way, uh, we do have a caller on the line. She's listening to us on the video stream. Go ahead, you're on the air, Pam, from Chicago. Oh, oh, oh Pam went she's away. Not. She didn't like that, so anyway. <laughs> uh, let, I want to go back to the raid, the raid in Mississippi. Um, 680 people uh, 
were picked off the, uh, the assembly uh, floor and they were rounded up and yet the owners of this food processing plant, which is based in Park Ridge, Illinois, uh, Coke Industries, not related to the Coke brothers, uh, nothing happened to them. What's wrong with that story, Chris? Shouldn't they be, if you're going to have a raid, shouldn't they be taking the owners or the managers out in handcuffs as well? Yes, and I think that the Justice Department is building a case. They actually needed testimony from the individuals to help build the case about the company knowingly violating our immigration laws. And yeah, there there should be, it should be seen ultimately as having been uh, fair and equal. Uh, it's not just it's not just the workers. It has always, always been a case where the Chamber of Commerce Republicans have sided with a variety of elements in the Democratic Party, and that's why it has been so hard to get true immig immigration reform. Well, why do you say the Democratic Party? Isn't isn't basically uh, businessmen? Now they're businessmen. There are Democratic businessmen, there, and there's a lot of Republican businessmen. There are a lot of there. Well, <coughs> so. There are elements inside the Democratic Party who want to oppose. I mean that, including uh, Donald Trump, who has many. No, but he's not in the Democratic Party. I'm saying no, is that but he's I, a what Republican I'm saying is who has hotels, who has immigrants. We've got we've got the Chamber of Commerce Republicans, the establishment Republicans, and some people in the Democratic Party have found it. You know, politics makes strange bedfellows sometimes, and that's exactly what's happened to, I think, popularly demanded immigration reform. That you know we've been hearing about for eight years of Barack Obama, immigration is broken. He had two years with the House and Senate, didn't do anything. Now, now it's Trump's turn. It's still broken. And I think they're cook. I think it's, it's cook, not coke. Uh, okay. It's the pronunciation. Whatever. This but, is. But it's not. It's not the famous no. Coke brothers. There's there are so many Americans, uh, especially Trump voters who would benefit from developing a better class consciousness in the way in which they look at a variety of issues, most especially immigration. Uh, if, if they could get beyond the racial bias which animates many of them, they could see that the reason they're paying uh, three, $400 a month in premiums for inadequate health care isn't because of illegal immigrants. The reason that they can't find a job with a living wage isn't because of illegal immigrants. And you teed up that uh, golf ball nicely for a nice long drive down the middle. Uh, the Mississippi raid, in addition to illustrating, again, the lack of empathy, the lack of compassion of the Trump administration, traumatizing those children without good reason, uh, it also illustrates that the ownership uh, does not suffer the consequences, and the ownership is the actual adversary of the working class. But they said, in their particular case, the, the ownership down there and management down there, they said that the people that were on that plant floor had passed E-Verify, which is this government program which basically says that everybody there is legal. That was their defense. Now, I don't... I don't know if that's they true either. But they it's, haven't it's, had their day on the court, but again, that that was their first PR response. But here's my point: well, and also, when you when you talk, but but I want to I want to go back to the people that are there. Mm -hmm. And this wait, is wait, this whoa, is whoa, whoa, whoa. before you do that. I want to pick up on the empathy point. Where is the empathy for the American low-skilled worker, right. who may well be a minority, uh, may not be a minority, doesn't matter. Where is the empathy for the American worker 
denied that job. If there are 600 folks down there who are not supposed to be in the country, why isn't it empathetic for the Americans who are supposed to be in the country to say, okay, these 600 violated our laws, so they need to go back to where they came from, and now 600 Americans can take those positions. That, to me, is overturning decades and decades of abuse of the people at the lower end of the economic spectrum by the elites. And I think the elites at that level are really one party, what I called once with John Cass, a combine so then of Democrats and Republicans. So then you're supportive of raising the minimum wage? I, I you think want to provide minimum, assistance for no, the, I think, the I think lower it, end workers? Raising the minimum wage is the classic unempathetic response to a vital and vibrant and dynamic labor environment. For so, some folks, to, to say raise the minimum wage is to misunderstand the significance of entry positions for people of all ages, people of all skill sets. Average age of, of the minimum wage worker right now is 29. I, I want to tell you the quickest way to find more ordering kiosks at a McDonald's in Illinois Center or at LAX Airport is to keep raising minimum wages. And there are folks who are here legally, deserving or, of jobs, who are going to be shunted aside so that we can bring in the, a kiosk or, made in Korea. That's not empathy. I want to come or, back to a core story based on the people that you're talking, the 680 people. Have we reached a point where there's a difference between parties, between those that think there should be strict enforcement of the laws and those that are not? Now, I, am, I favor a strict enforcement of laws, including immigration laws. I would be the first person to say, if you're going to make a raid on, a, on, a, on, a, on an industry, you arrest the bosses. The bosses should, and by the way, it should not be the cost of business to play, pay fines. You should go to prison. If you're breaking environmental laws, send them to prison. If they're breaking immigration laws, send them to prison. Lock them up. Let's see the, let's see the owners walk the perp walk, not, not just uh, the, the, the immigrants that are, that are in, the, uh, in, in the assembly lines. That's my position. But I want to know why the Democrats don't seem to care if people break the law. That should be the common denominator. Did you break the law or not? And if you broke the law, whatever the law is, you should pay a price for that. And the price might be, we're gonna knock on your door and take you back to where you came from because you didn't do it right. I think. And I wanna give your response. I've given my little polemic here. (laughs) I'll give you a chance to respond back shortly. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, We're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support. 
for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Uh, Delmarie and our, our progressives uh, answer this one. Uh, my little tirade before the break. Yeah. Um, somebody breaks the law. The Democrats seem to always look look the other way, trying to find some excuse why they shouldn't have to do what everyone else does. Well, my position on that is that uh, the employer should be the one who's punished okay. because I agree with that. When you're talking about jobs. The employer has the opportunity to hire American workers. Yes, they do. The employer is trying to make as much money as possible. Right. And so they're hiring workers who are not legally here so, so you, that they can pay so them believe, so, a lower wage. So, so taking the, the 680, by the half of them, you know, are already Bonded out. out yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they were not, they weren't who they thought they were. Um, so you, you think it's all right to have these raids, pick people up, and uh, send them back to where they came from? I'm not saying I necessarily think it's all right to have the raids. I don't think it should have happened in the first place. I'm saying the employers are But if you don't really have the raid, Delmarie, how do you get them? What, do you send out a, you know, a sting? I mean, literally, I would, I would not be surprised if President Trump didn't want to have one of these raids every month or every week between now and election day. And what I because would say- Because I think a lot of people, a lot of people come back to the basic thing. What is the biggest difference between a Republican and a Democrat or a conservative? And you know what I think it is? One has a greater respect for law and order than the other. I well, think that's the big difference. I know that's what they would like to say, but you could start with I the raids, but you could he start said. having the raids at all the Trump properties. That's where you could start the raids. Yes. I, w I would favor that as well. And so Where, if we're willing to have the raise at the Trump properties to show good faith, then let's start there and let's see where we go from there. I, go ahead, David. Well, first I would say you're... The dichotomy you just set up is not entirely true. I mean, are Republicans for law and order when it comes to corporate malfeasance? Are Republicans yes. for law and order when it comes no. to, as you stated earlier, violations of environmental regulations? Yes. Uh, well, not in policy. Maybe in yes, I, yes, in policy I, and yes, you in challenge fact. Trump for the nomination of your your party then, because you're more of a law and order guy than he uh, is. That's not true. But I think that Trump adheres to, to law and order. To uh, answer your challenge about the raids and breaking the law, wouldn't you agree that different violations of the law call for different punishment? Yes. So you wouldn't punish a murderer the same way you would punish someone who committed a misdemeanor, no. which is illegal entry of the country. That's a misdemeanor. And I would add... By the way, what 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 is in your view? But I would what add... Is the, go ahead, add it. That I'm sure you're familiar with the case of Jill, Jimmy L. Duad. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but he was an Iraqi national, hadn't lived in Iraq since he was six months old. His parents emigrated here when he was a child. He lived in Detroit. He was mentally ill and diabetic. ICE caught him in a raid 
deported him to Iraq. He died two months later because he couldn't get insulin for his diabetes. Okay. He was also a Christian, that's a, and sending that's him to a, Iraq a, that, but, but here, put, that, a, put that a, is, a target I'm for not, assassination I'm, on I, his back. I am not, now, are you going to defend no, 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 that uh, no, I'm not. type no, I'm not. of cruel and counterproductive policy? Hold on, can I? Finish, what I, what okay. I'll say is you cannot cherry-pick right. a story and turn it into a sob sister story. I am so sick and tired of seeing the video of the, the children in Mississippi crying because someone came in and took their father to jail because he broke a law. That happens on the south and west side how many times? A hundred times a day? No, I agree. The media is not there to, to, to say, wait a minute, why are they being treated differently than anybody else? I'm just saying, make it simple. If you break the law, right. you're That's punished. Too, now, let me ask you, that. if someone breaks the law, I'll ask you, Chris, if someone yeah. breaks the law, because I think David is correct, Sneaking into the country without papers, that's not murder. Correct. What kind of a crime is it and what should be what what should be the time they pay? I believe it's a misdemeanor. Yes. However, it frequently ends up being layered on top of other things and folks, you know, are become subject to legal process, whatever that legal process ends up being in the given case. And I want it, so that's my answer to that. But I want to say when David or when other people of the liberal or the progressive persuasion raise questions like that, I, as a conservative, I who deeply, I am deeply, profoundly skeptical of any concentration of power in society because we have a small d democratic republic. So I'm, whether it's consumerism or you were mentioning corporatism or administrative process or prosecutorial discretion or the presidency itself or Congress and what it can do or choose not to do or slough off onto some agency. I am skeptical of all concentrations of power. Liberals, progressives especially, progressives say we will progress if we give more authority and more discretion to the government entity. I'm thinking to myself, here you've just said, the government entity put that poor guy, Mr. Al Daoud, through the mix master, mm -hmm. he ends up going back to Iraq, uh, may have faced mental issues, certainly faced medical issues, ends up dying as a result. Mm -hmm. And this is the government to which our friends here, Anne-Marie and David, want to give more and more and more authority. And what you get is 15 high schools in Baltimore with not one kid performing math well, that's, at grade level. That's, we're, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk. Go ahead. <laughs> there, there, there isn't any person who has experienced well, government know, in Chicago but, or Illinois who says, oh, hey, here's know, a great idea. Let's give more authority well, to government. You know I, go Don't ahead. Right. You go no, ahead. no, because no, I'm going to go off for a second. I was just going to say <laughs> that, that we live in a democracy. We're for manipulating in the neutral sense of the word the instruments of democracy to implement policy that better serves the public interest and common good so far so good so me too uh, i don't think that i think it's it's rather intellectually sloppy with all due respect to to conflate uh the deportation of el duad which to know is to be responsible. They have to know he would die when they were doing that with Medicare or with Pell Grants or with Social no, no, Security. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I, there are or, some, some government programs are run extraordinarily well and very or efficiently. Or with the library but, system. But, but, you, or, but let me tell you something. 
there is something out there. There's a big organism out there in society called government, okay? And there are other organisms out there in society. And I have more faith in the other organisms than I do in government, in part because it is by definition a concentration of power. So you would... It has the authority to compel. Chris, you would agree, though, that in the case of the Mississippi... Uh, you are stuck rate. on the Mississippi chicken workers. No, That's because I because about. I no because I think people can understand that. Right. In this particular they, case, let me just finish. If you're going to go in, first of all, the idea that you have it, uh, you know, on the same day that the president is in El Paso, the the acting what, head what of DHS said there was no way he could stop it. I don't I don't believe dumb government, that. Government, you know, <clears throat> it's it's a dumb one one uh, ear is is not listening to the other ear. My question doesn't make any sense. My question is this. If you're going to have a raid and you think there's 680 people that you're going to arrest, number one, I said before, make sure you get the bosses. Right. Make sure you have a raid on the, in the corporate office, which right. is in Park Ridge, Illinois. Right. Have that raid, too, yep. so the bosses are going out. But you have to assume, because these are lower-income people, they might have their children at work that day. The, the, the first and if so... What is the plan well, to deal with on, the children after we've gone after so, we, no after we have gone through a year and a half right. there, of this well, administration there, having nothing but bad PR the first, for the way they deal with immigrant children? Is it, why uh, is there not some ICE, daycare center okay. or something ready well, so we don't have this girl crying about her father okay. going to prison? I'm well, sick of that video, okay. and you know the media will always That's look all they for play sob sister stories. But I want to say the the answer to your question is. And this, of course, is not reported by the media, which is <coughs> anti-Trump and wants to get rid of him as much as Del almost as much as Delmarie. But uh, so, uh, More so the answer is ICE regulate ICE procedures are the very first question that they ask an adult is: Do you have a dependent minor at home or in school who needs you to be home by a certain time to take care of them? No. That that is the very first question. All right, let's say I say no. Well, if you say no, then you're going down the that way, and well, if you say take yes, you down that path. What happens? Well, then you get you're you're going to be I, I you're going to be questioned. They're going to be asking you for papers. You're going to end up going through legal process. If you say yes, what I do. Kid? Hold on. If you say yes, I do have a child at home. Then the ICE regulate the ICE procedures are that you go into another channel, which is supposed to get you out by noon or something. The solution to okay. this entire problem existed under that radical administration of Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, and it's a robust guest worker program. Uh, the Democrats don't discuss it. The Republicans don't discuss it. It was active until the mid-60s when certain nativist elements uh, combined with, and this will make you happy, Chris, I'm nothing if not a people pleaser, uh, bring a smile to your face once tonight, <laughs> uh, labor unions to destroy the guest worker program. Right. Uh, a guest worker program would allow people to work in this country, pay taxes on their wages, without accruing the benefits of citizenship. It seems like a sensible compromise. No solution is perfect, and yet no one even mentions it in either party, well, I, which is rather suspicious. Well, I, I, the guest worker program in the 1950s was, was a terrific uh, and sensible and sort of uh, tailored response to the situation. And, and it, aliens it still comes would have up. to, there, aliens there was a would very, have to reach. 
the aliens would have to register every every January. Every January, exactly. You and I both remember those ads, but I oh, think other people here are too and, young. And no, but I think the, that's important for people that literally. When, and they're assimilated that, into happened. the country so they can more easily apply for citizenship. Well, they have status. They're not in the shadows, as the New York Times would say. That's right. The New York Times would say, get these people out of the shadows. But Everybody in, in, in case, the shadows. We, he, not, the farm workers, is that, you know, that, that an existentialist? Baker, one 8289 back shortly. They would kill for shame. <laughs> Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, Forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. Bruce Dumont yes, back in Chicago. Uh, our Chris Roebling is here. He is our Republican. David Maciotra is one of our progressives, and he is a columnist. And also Del Marie Cobb joins us. She is a, a longtime public affairs and political activist in the Chicagoland area. Uh, again, our second Republican tonight uh, didn't show up. I don't know why, but uh, Chris has been carrying the ball very well. <laughs> and you, and uh, nice of you to double my take for this evening. I really appreciate it. I gave you that. two bottles of water. I, was exactly. say that. <laughs> I mean, usually we're down to one bottle of water. One bottle each. <laughs> That's it. I one got the other Republicans' so water. <laughs> That's right. I can make it to another That's oasis. Right. Right. Delmarie Cobb, we should mention. Uh, this coming Thursday, uh, August 15th, her organization, Ida's Legacy, is having a benefit. They're going to have a screening of the, of the movie, Lincoln is Crying. It's a very well done documentary, N not just because I'm in it, but it's very well done, even if though I wasn't in it. It's from 6 to 9 o'clock, and it's going to be at the Columbia College Film Row Center. That's in Chicago, August 15th. And if people want to call you, Adele Marie, give the number they can call. They can call 312-948-9951. Okay. And how much are tickets or what's the suggestion? $40. $40. Worth every penny. Yeah. It, it is. is. It's, a, it's a good cause. And, and it's it, the film is about... Uh, corruption. Nine, 90 minutes. And it's <laughs> they filled 90 minutes with corruption about Illinois. Amazing. But it's very... You don't have to be... You don't have to be from Illinois to like corruption. I mean, uh, to like this movie. <laughs> if, you, if you're from Illinois, you might like corruption anyway. Let's go to Brian. <laughs> He's listening in, to us in Roselle, Illinois. Go ahead, Brian. Speaking of which. Brian, are you there? Yes, I hear you now. Yes. Yeah, I listen to you on YouTube. Good. Uh, I'm a union electrician. And I follow the Democratic Party on immigration, illegal immigration, and I believe they've sold out America's working class. Uh, I've been on a service truck. I've seen many, many, many businesses, and it's my opinion that businessmen put illegal immigrants in every aspect of their business that's possible. It, you know, the big myth is they're just out in the field picking vegetables and nobody wants that job. But the truth is, they're working everywhere. And what the truth, what, another thing is, 
illegal immigration is a subsidy to the wealthy and the business class correct. in the United States. Yes, correct. And they get their workers for dirt cheap, and then all the social costs get pushed onto the taxpayer. Right. You know, if I'm a rich guy, I'm getting my yard, my landscaping done cheap. I'm, I'm out at restaurants downtown. My meals are cheaper because the kitchen staff is all illegal immigrants. Uh, my car's getting washed real cheap because there's illegal immigrants working at the car wash. And then the taxpayer pays all the social costs. And, free, and, free college. Right, free college. And another thing is how many of those children we saw crying after the plant raid are on some type of government program? Do we talk about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the progressive left started attacking Walmart and some other big box retailers a few years ago, a couple of years ago, on the basis of the fact they were not paying a living wage, okay? And they went on to say, when you have families that are supported by Walmart wages exclusively, you're probably not going to get out of the poverty level, or you're just going to be a little bit above it. And so some folks at... I guess the Progressive Policy Institute or one of those places started adding up all of the government transfer payments, federal and they notionalized the state dimension, and they came up with this enormous price tag. So the shopper at Walmart gets the low price, Walmart gets the low wage, but the taxpayers pick up the difference. Now, you know, it, it, the it, it is a truism that not just the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, but United States of America, society in general, you know, human finitude, whatever you want to call it, we're of two minds. And we say one thing and we do another. And that's the way, you know, flawed humans are. Is this something that but Bernie this Sanders has hurt should be regular people? About? I mean, is, is this a new wrinkle to Bernie's uh, rap, uh, your, in your view, David? Well, he was traditionally... Uh, pretty hard line on immigration up until he became a national figure when right. he was more of a local figure in Dick Vermont. Dick Durbin was anti-abortion <clears throat> until he, he became a national he figure. He had the position of the caller. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I would say again that the caller and others are, are shooting at the wrong target. Uh, the caller said he's a union uh, electrician. Uh, at one point in the 1960s, nearly 40% of American workers belonged to a labor union. Labor unions were as important as anything else in constructing the middle class of this country. Now it's down to 9% private sector. Uh, you mentioned Walmart. The Walton family makes $4 million an hour. Uh, the amount of, ex speaking of Bernie Sanders, the amount of extreme inequality in this country, and we see the ramifications of it in health care, we see it in educational policy, we see it in poverty relief, that is the real cause of the working class struggle and the working class privation that is so pervasive throughout this culture. The hiring of illegal immigrants is perhaps a small piece of that, but what we're seeing here is making illegal immigrants the scapegoat in the classic sense of the word for decades of corporatist policy that have redistributed wealth from the bottom and the middle to the yeah, top. But that, I, I just think that that's looking at one thin slice of the baklava, okay? The baklava has got many, many slices. And 
One of the things that Trump is doing, for which he's getting, you know, of course, no credit from anybody except folks who pay attention, is, I believe, executing what Obama <clears throat> announced but never got around to. And, and Lord knows Obama had other things to do. But Trump is breaking. He is in the process of trying, at least he is trying, to break China's iron grip on the American economy. And it's tough. It's hard. Uh, luckily, we're at a moment where our economy is expanding and theirs is not. So this is, of all times, the best time for him to do it. And that is another case where the elites took it out on the working people. And that's the kind of, that's why the first person who, and, and Bruce will back me up on this, four years ago, three years, whatever, the first person who told me she thought Obama was going to, or uh, uh, Trump was going to win, was an African American Democrat politician from the south side of the city of Chicago. She said, "Do you know why he's going to win, Chris?" I said, "No, because he will bring jobs to the African American community." Uh, that is what she said to me. Well, and look at what we are at the historic what low. But, but say that again. He hasn't brought any jobs to the African American community. I mean, this whole notion of I've got more African Americans working than ever before. Is that not true? Oh, it's not true. Of, of course, course it's, it's not true. true. You can just look at Chicago. Look at Chicago. <laughs> is it true? It is absolutely well, well, I mean, true. I can, walk down, is, the, is, I, I can walk down the street and see African Americans not working, but I can I, I can't see them if they are working. All you have to do is the whitening of the loop. All you have to do is look at the whitening of the loop. Black people were working from all the wards downtown. They are not working downtown. When Rahm Emanuel talks about all these corporations he's bringing and headquarters yeah. he's bringing to the to the to the city, those jobs aren't going to anybody black. They're well, being brought here. The same people government are just workers are government workers are from are where? Not? Where are government workers working? The eighth ward. <laughs> don't they don't don't they work in the loop? But, but we all know that yeah. that these numbers we understand these these numbers form a statistical Potemkin village. We know what we're talking about. Okay. The, the average job that's been created in the past ten years, <clears throat> so even going back to the Obama administration, is a low wage job. Uh, Fifty percent of Americans have under five hundred dollars in savings. Uh, a large percent of Americans are one mishap away from financial right. ruin. So. So we should give the government the so economy. St statistically. We should talk about a Green New Deal. No, the point is that statistically we can talk about the unemployment number, which started declining well during the Obama no administration. No one denies that. No we, one denies we can, that. We can talk, I don't deny that. We can, we can recite all of those statistics, but it doesn't address... The uh, okay, so, so David, <coughs> the severity okay. of the struggles oh, okay. that the American your family faces. Uh, your <laughs> Brian, thanks for your call. You got your twenty-five cents. Thank worth. you very much now, for my calling question, in. Here, here, here's my question because I do want to Thank talk you. about democratic politics. And again, uh, you, David, uh, mm -hmm. which is why when I read your recent face, Facebook post, you and many of your friends, your your first pick friends, you believe that the Democrats are wasting time trying to convince past Trump voters to vote against Trump in 2020. And you think that they're making a mistake by going through and discussing statistics and whether this is good and that that's good. It's all, it means nothing that really the way that you have to beat Trump is to have increased the turnout of people that hate Trump 
and building a case that this guy is, is the vilest guy ever to walk the face of the earth, that's the winning ticket for Democrats. Vilify and mobilize. Well, the mobilization... Have I summarized it correctly? <laughs> you're essentially correct. Well, saying yes, it's, it's a, you're concerned about the tone and tenor it's, of American it's, it's, politics. It's yeah. a mobilization... Because you're vilifying. <laughs> well, well, well that, that, with all due respect, it trivializes the, the brutal history of racism in this country. Because the, the criticism of Trump's rhetoric is about the race-baiting nature, which throughout the history of this country is responsible for the deaths of thousands of Americans. Vilifying the President of the United States is an American tradition that goes back to perhaps not George Washington, but uh, Thomas John Jefferson, Adams. certainly, yeah, John yeah, Adams. Thomas Jefferson, right. uh, Are we out of time? Can I give you my answer? Uh, give, give me 10 seconds now as a tease to what we're going to talk about <laughs> when we come back. Carl Rove, someone I'm not fond of quoting, said in 2000 that the future of American politics is about mobilization of the base, and he's correct. You know, okay, so 51% mobilize, wins. So again, we're going to talk about, when we come back, mobilizing the Democratic base that first and foremost hates the President of the United States. Back shortly to discuss that. Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness. Helping themselves. And helping each other. With friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Dumont, we're back in Chicago, and uh, Bruce, you know, we're it's getting, getting late. Uh, yes, I, I, you want as the a fans Republican, out again? I, I, I got to get back to the fossil drawer at the Field Museum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they locked the front door because they're afraid of people stealing some of the exhibits. <laughs> some of your ideas. Well, yeah. The fossil drawer, I it fills go, up over there, you know. I want to go back. You might to, be laughing. I want to go back to the strategy that that, that I read in, in David's uh, Facebook post and, and some of your friends, is that you really. The Democrats are wasting their time if they talk too much about uh, about issues, and they're certainly wasting their time if they think they're going to try to get some Trump voters back. They have to expand their base, and the people that uh, weren't riled up enough four years ago, if they're not riled up now against Donald Trump, they're never going to be riled up. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're looking far too persnickety, which means having an unhealthy obsession with details. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm watching an algebra, algebra lecture or a political debate when I tune into CNN sometimes. <laughs> and uh, they need to stop uh, vetting everyone from, he said this in 1994 and she supported this policy in 1991. We need to have a common goal, a common mission, which is returning to the White House. And you use the word vilification. That's fine. But it needs to be an intelligent and thoughtful vilification, and not just calling Trump a racist, 
because that's not going to convince many Americans. There's clearly a large percentage of Americans who uh, either brush off that accusation or don't take it seriously. The winning candidate is the one who will form a message who demonstrates why Donald Trump's racism, why his incompetence, why his narcissism, and why his opposition to the democratic tradition, small d democratic, of uh, the American system and American culture presents a clear and present danger to the American political system. Simply calling him a name isn't going to do that. That requires leadership and that requires some maturity and probity and uh, wisdom. Do you, th uh, do you think that Joe Biden, who last week spent some time on defense, does he have the ability, uh, I'm going to ask you, Delmarie, does he have the ability to deliver the type of campaign that David just talked about, or is he not going to be able to go for the jugular like many Democrats want a candidate to do? Well, I think if it, was a, if it becomes a one-on-one, -on -one, I think he definitely will do what he needs to do to try to win uh, and to draw. Do you think he's strong? Now, you, you, you've been surrounded by candidates <laughs> most of your life. Just between the four of us, do you think he is strong enough, that Joe Biden is strong enough to go one-on-one -on -one with Donald Trump? Oh, I do think he's strong enough to go one-on-one -on -one with Donald Trump. I just want to uh, say. If he gets in a one-on-one. -on -one. Joe, Joe Biden's biggest task right now is beating Bob Mueller to the Adirondack chair on the porch of their retirement home. I mean, these guys are completely past their sale date. And the poor guy, Joe Biden, is 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 not. A, well, I don't think he's just an as evil old. guy. He's past his sale uh, sale date. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you want to go by Trump that, Trump is out there. You know, no, he's, he's energetic. I, I think Trump he's is aggressive. Yeah, and and, and uh, was the mis was the mistake? But I, you know, and Trump Biden actually did. When Trump insults people, he's actually very good at insulting people. And he insulted Biden by saying, "Sleepy Joe, Joe." No, no, Joe oh. lost his fastball. Yeah. And it, you know that that is a very. I think that that he is also a very. He said he wasn't playing with a full deck. The, the, he did. He did say that. Yeah. I, the, it takes one to know one, right? My, <laughs> my fear is that his assessment of Biden losing his fastball well, is he, accurate. Here is the point: because Biden looked great when he debated Sarah Palin. Biden looked great when he debated Paul Ryan. Everyone expected yeah, Ryan to but, destroy him, and right, most right. people, even Republicans, agreed Biden got the better of him in the debate. That's not the same Joe Biden we've seen yeah, yeah, yeah. Biden, in this cycle. Of the mistakes, not, of, the, of, let's say, of the gaffes. Of the gaffes made just last week in Iowa, and there was the gaffe where there was the reference to poor children and white children. That's yeah, number yeah, one. that's another one. Then there was the reference to uh, truth and facts. That was number two. Then he had the, and, the and then kids. there was the one, and then there was the one where he did not, he said that he welcomed the Parkland shooting victims to meet with him when mm. he was the vice president and he was no longer the vice of those three and the victims which which what, weren't which, meeting which with is anybody. the one which is the one that's the worst in your view parkland yeah yeah i think parkland yeah i agree with that i mean it was 2 years after <laughs> right. he left the yeah. vice presidency so there there look the Demo all 21 or 20 or 19 or however many there are and i have one personal friend among that group but all of those candidates are failing right now, and and none of the they're all losing the pre-primary primary, but, but wanted, and that's why Steve Bannon said today, look for a big name to jump in, and he used the name Michelle Obama, which I don't think is going to happen, but he also used the name Clint, uh, Hillary Clinton, which I don't think is going to happen. But I think there are other folks out Michael there, Bloomberg like the Michael Bloomberg, 
who might jump in because right now you don't have anybody up there who can take on Trump. But it's not going to be Michelle, according to Bill Murray. No, Bill-Murray it's not going to be Michelle. Why not? Because Tell she nobody. doesn't. She doesn't like politics. I mean, she didn't like politics when she was married to Barack Obama yeah. as a politician in Chicago or Illinois, because she said to him, if he had not won the Senate race that he was never going to run again because she did not marry someone to be a single parent. A quick call from uh, KCX. Who can blame her? uh, KXLY, go ahead, Cal, you're on the air. Quick question for you. Are you there? Well, I have a a solution to the uh, illegal worker problem. I need 15 seconds for your solution. The employer should be charged as a fine one year of prevailing wage for that position. The second time they're fined two years, third time they go to prison. Okay. I think you're too, uh, you're too easy. <laughs> you're too easy. I think, I think, what, I think in that <laughs> case, two strikes in your round, not three. Our thanks to Chris That's Roebling. Yep. Thank you for your call, Cal. And Del Marie Cobb and David Masiotra, thank you very much for joining us. I want to thank uh, Fritz Goldman and also our thanks to uh, uh, Brita and also to Andrew for their assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov slash emergency.
My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.